Okay, if you would, please turn to the book of Ephesians. You see there Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. Really, 17a is where we're going to focus this morning. But this morning, I'm I'm going to start from verse 10 again to get the flow of the context of where we've been for six or seven weeks. Ephesians 6, starting with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. Blessed is the reading of God's Holy Word to our hearts, to our minds. So, Father, help me. Help me help us put on the helmet of salvation in our daily warfare and battle against powers and principalities, our own flesh or sin. Oh, Father, I ask for the Spirit of teaching that I unpack what is here and that You cause our hearts to see it, to be moved, be changed from one degree of glory to another. Through Jesus Christ. Amen. So here now, Paul is encouraging every Christian to not go out into the world of your everyday life with your heads unprotected. He says... Put on the helmet of salvation. The helmet to protect what's in your head there, your brain, thoughts, your mind, controlling your life and what you do with your hands. See, I move my hands. That is my brain because I do this unconsciously. I don't, it just happens. Because what you think about And how you think about it may result in Jesus saying to you one day, Well done, good and faithful servant. Or, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. What you think about 
how well you think about it is huge in the Christian life. Now, someone says, well, no, no, I'm a feeler. I'm not a thinker. That is a lie. It's one of the weapons Satan uses against the church, against Christians. It is a bald face lie. Everyone is thinking pretty much all the time. Now, if you meant by that, oh, I'm not an intellectual, I'm not a professor, or, you know, I don't get into deep philosophy. Okay, I understand that. But you think, and I'm talking about everyday basic things we think about, every one of us is always doing it. And the question is, what are you thinking about? Where is your mind? Your thoughts. Where is your head leading you? Where is it leading your heart? Where is it leading your choices? And thus, where is it leading your lifestyle? The helmet for the soldier, Roman soldier, we have seen he's got his shoes, got a breastplate, he's got a shield, he's girded up with truth. He's protected all through here in his head, which is vital because everything flows through it. Can't use your foot without your brain. And so, the helmet protects where everything is flowing from. Your brain controls your entire body, where it will go. And so, Paul says, keep a very close, protective Watch on your thoughts. Because they determine how you choose to do life. And the way you walk in life is the evidence of your salvation. Or the lack of it. There's an old saying that goes like this. Watch your thoughts. They become words. Watch your words. They become actions. Watch your actions. They become habits. Watch your habits. They become character. Watch your character. For it becomes your destiny. So Paul tells us, put on the helmet of salvation. By which he means that that of salvation, he means put on the helmet, which is salvation. Put it on in battle daily. So what I want to do first is ask the question, let's take the helmet, what is that helmet? And then secondly, okay, then now that we put it on, how does that manifest itself in the Christian life as part of the armor in which to do battle and how we're being protected? Okay, that's where I'm going. So first, what does Paul mean there? So here he is, he's got this picture of the Roman soldier, he's using all the armor here, and now you're pretty much all ready, you're all dressed. Okay, there's a sword on the ground, we're going to get there next time. There's a helmet. Grab that helmet. 
pick it up and put it on, protecting your head. So what does he mean, though, when he says, put that salvation on your head? I mean, he's talking to Christians, isn't he? I mean, that's his assumption as he writes to churches. That you're born again. You've come to Christ. Now he said, put on salvation. So we've got to ask, what is he getting at? What do you mean, put on salvation? So, I don't know what else he could mean other than this. Here's Paul writing. Assuming that you're a real Christian. You've come to saving faith in Jesus. And therefore he's saying, take up in your minds the clarity of what this salvation is. That protects your head. In other words, go out there in your day-to-day life, in the world, and be that person whose worldview is radically different from those who are outside of Christ. And if you do that, in the larger context, this will protect you from Satan's schemes. So he uses the term for the helmet, salvation. Now, this is how I understand what Paul's doing here. This is his large term encompassing this big thing called salvation. Like Paul sums up in, in Romans 8. For new, for new, predestined, predestined, called. Of course, they're justified and they will one day be glorified. So salvation is the big term here. Within salvation, there are other doctrines that are part of what salvation is. For, for, for instance, Christ's propitiatory work on the cross. See, you mean something larger than that, but not without that. You can't have salvation without that. New birth. You can't be saved unless you are born again. Unless you're born again, you can't see nor enter the kingdom of heaven. Part of salvation, but salvation is the larger part. Justification before God by faith alone. Part of what salvation is. Christ's righteousness imputed to the believer. Sanctification. The pursuit of holiness. This bloody battle in the life because every person who's come to faith in Jesus is sinful still. And yet now they're different because the Spirit dwells within them. And there's fruit being born, but never perfectly. It's called sanctification, which is part of this salvation. In the future, it still hasn't happened yet. Christ will come again, and He will raise from the dead unto eternal life all those who are His. It's called glorification. It still hasn't happened. But under that whole big word, salvation, is all of that. And He says, take up the helmet. Put that on. This means you think about all of life through the perspective of salvation. That's what Paul's driving at. So, what I want to do just briefly first is take a flyover of the forest of salvation. 
What does this helmet really look like? Before we slip it on and then say, how does that affect how I battle do life? So, salvation, at its core, it means we have been rescued from some terrible circumstance. Through faith, trust in Jesus Christ's death on the cross and His resurrection. That's what it is at its core. Now think about it. What that means, therefore, is to be saved, the person, we're all born sinners, we're all sinners, must come to a very personal realization of their own sin nature before the Creator who made who is perfectly holy. They must come to some type of fear. Fear of God. The reality of their situation. If they're not, what are they going to be safe from? It's a nice... I'm not really big on you know Christian saying, you know that. But this is a good one and it's true. You can't get saved unless you first get lost. And by that, does it mean, we're all, yes, we're all lost. I mean, you realize, I'm lost. I'm doomed. And so, for any person, for any sinner to come to Christ and be saved from the penalty of sin, they must come to the realization that they are lost. They're doomed. They are condemned without a Savior. See, the Apostle Paul, here in the book of Ephesians, as we've been working our way through, he assumes that every Christian looks back at their life and says, Amen to what I just said. They just totally gravitate. Yes, absolutely. This is how he said it back in chapter 2, starting with verse 1. And you were dead... In the trespasses and sins in which you once lived your life. You're going down the river that way. In which you once walked. You were following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Just like the rest of mankind. So Paul assumes the believers say, yes, that's right. I'm so in touch with that reality. But before a person gets saved, comes to Christ, before God began to work in any of our lives in this room, if we are now Christians, before bringing us to Christ, we did not grasp what we just read. I mean, we know it's perfect, but come on. Dead to God? Under God's wrath? No. We didn't grasp it. 
We didn't have a true fear of, of a holy God and what that means for me, a sinner. And therefore we didn't yearn for salvation and we were not saved. But then, God acted upon us. And we began to fear. We began to be convicted of our sin and of righteousness and of the judgment to come. And He opened our eyes to see our guilt before Him. And even if you were squeaky clean, just just say, culturally speaking, you were a basically good person. Your personality is just niceness. But if you're a Christian now, with the way everyone else perceived you, you are overcome with the darkness of your soul. With your guilt before the one and only holy God. His light shined in the darkness of your heart. Was exposed to yourself. And you tasted of it. What happened? You're still there in two. I'm just going to pick up where I left off. So now watch Paul's transition. You were that. You're under God's wrath. And then these beautiful two words. Verse 4. But God. But God. But God. Now he defines what he means now. Because he, he could have just said, But God raised us up. Because that's the flow. But he's got this huge, large clause. Describing the now subject God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. Paul says, oh, here's a saying. This is what I mean. Let me just put it in short. By grace, you have been saved. And He raised us up with Him, with Christ. And He seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I don't want to stop yet. Why? So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable. You can't measure them. The immeasurable riches of His grace. Now watch this. We used to be under His wrath. And He's going to do this though in Kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And so he's just got to say it again. Do you get the gospel? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, that is the grace and the faith, is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God so that no human being can boast. And so, That's at the core 
of being delivered out of the horrible circumstances. We're saved. How? By grace. We realize there's nothing, no work, no performance that I could do that would be the cause of God looking at me and saving me or you or anybody. But it is by grace alone. And so, day by day, two years into your Christianity, or 66 years into your Christianity, God is speaking by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul to get out of bed today, pick up the helmet of salvation, and put it on. Means we are meant to contemplate that. We're meant to contemplate how that could be true. How could God show mercy? Justify me before Him. Promise me immeasurable riches in kindness. Me, a sinner. Put the helmet on. Cover your thoughts. Contemplate it. And so we do. We really realize the Scripture tells us. You don't just contemplate under a tree. I wonder what that means. You go... To the Word. And you grow. And you become more and more overcome since your initial conversion. Oh, His holiness. And our sinfulness. And you realize that God in His perfect holiness and perfect righteousness. Throughout the Scripture, He will never deny Himself. You realize that He cannot compromise His holiness nor His justice. How did He forgive me? He can't sweep Joe LeMay's horrific sins under the rug and just say, let bygones be bygones because I don't take myself, the eternal God, seriously. He can't do that and He doesn't do that. And the Scripture makes clear He never does that. And so we realize that justice had to be satisfied in order to acquit the guilty. And that's what the death of Jesus is all about. So just one text, briefly. Paul just sums it up this way in Romans 3. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now he's referring to those who are being saved. You're watching. He says this. And they are justified. What are you talking about? Justice meant condemnation. Yes. But they are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation in His blood to be received by faith. Christ absorbed. Condemnation, wrath against every sinner who will ever believe in Him.
So if you have been supernaturally raised up with Christ in order to believe in Jesus, then His shed blood paid for your sins. And He has granted to you not only the removal of sin, but positively Christ's righteousness and thus all the promises of the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness because of Christ forever. So you put on the helmet. And putting on the helmet of salvation implies that it is a Christian mind, or say that differently. It's a born again mind. It's a regenerated person. See, when God saves us, He makes us new creatures in Christ Jesus. Christianity is not a club that you decide to join. Say this oath after me. Okay, I said, Jesus, come into my heart. I don't want to die and go to hell. I believe, I believe that you died for sins and been raised from the dead. I did it. And now you're in. That's not Christianity. A person could do that and that may be very indicative of their actually being saved. But it's the result of their new birth, not the cause of it. Christianity at the core is a new life given, a new birth given by God Himself. God, the Holy Spirit, who has come to dwell inside. And thus, we're still on salvation and looking at this helmet. And thus, for those who are being saved, It means our desires have changed. You have new desires you didn't have. Oh, you still have old ones. You still have sinful desires. It's called the flesh, according to Paul in the New Testament. Absolutely. But you have something you didn't used to have. A longing, fellowship with your Creator through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. A grief in your sin. A battle against your flesh. The very core of our being, in other words, in new birth, has come into communion with God, our Savior, who is dwelling within us. That is the third person of the Holy Trinity. And that, I just, forget about Bible, it's all over the New Testament. Let me just say something. And that just seems logically to mean it's going to start to dictate how you live. It's going to dictate Life choices. It's going to dictate a lot of repentance constantly in life. But it's going to dictate a flow and a direction in which you're going. And Paul says this in Ephesians. After chapter 2, he finally comes to chapter 4, remember? And what he does here is he contrasts a believer with an unbeliever. A husband who's saved with his wife who isn't. A child who's saved with a parent who isn't. One friend saved, one friend is. He contrasts how salvation is working itself out in this life. When he writes, starting with verse 17 of Ephesians 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you 
must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now stop. That's Paul's word for unbelievers. He's talking to mainly Gentile Christians, okay? As Gentiles do, that is in the futility of their minds. No, you've got to put the helmet on. Your mind. They are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and they have given themselves up to sensuality. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you, church... Professing Christian, that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard him and were taught in him as truth is in Jesus. That is, you've learned Christ this way. To put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And you are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the helmet of salvation. And to put on the new self. That is, the one who is created after the likeness of God. In true righteousness and holiness. And so, this helmet... This encompassing word salvation is including that there is a dramatic change in the way we live. In what we think about and the way we think about it. And the values that we hold and no longer hold. Putting on the helmet of salvation means daily reminding yourself of His grace. Not merely past grace, but very powerful, present grace now. Changing, molding, sanctifying, bringing us again and again to to repentance and turning and longings through this life. Grace on how we live. On how we give, on how we serve, on how we shun blatant, sinful lifestyles. Salvation is not merely a past event. Parts of it are. New birth is past. If you're born again, you're not ever getting born again again. It's past. Justification is past. You get justified by faith. The first real faith comes by, boom, it's done. It's over with. It's past. But salvation includes the past and it includes the present as He is presently working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. And that's why Paul writes right after this. Clearly. Crystal clearly putting the Gospel when it comes to justification, being made right with God, it is by faith alone apart from any works. And then he comes into chapter 6 saying, okay, what shall we say then? 
What does this salvation, this helmet really mean? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? You also must, here it is, put the helmet on and consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And as we put this helmet on, as we rest in Christ's death and Jesus' perfect human righteous life put to our account, and His triumphal resurrection, for our justification and our future glorification, as He is, we should be. And we walk by the power of the Spirit with a helmet on. Our, this is part of salvation, it's a gift. Our assurance that I am one of those will grow. And we should covet assurance before God in our lives and our prayer lives. I'm real. Put the helmet on. Put it on every day. But I got beat up yesterday on the battlefield. Put it on today. Love Him. And watch your assurance grow. There's the helmet. There it is now. So we said put it on. So the question is, how, how does having our minds, our desires, our values formed by this helmet of salvation. How does that help us? Now let's go to the context of Ephesians. How does that help us in the battle of the Christian life? Remember, because that's the context, right? Verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand and not fall. To stand against the schemes of the devil. So how? First, because the helmet, it protects your head. Protects your head from what? Contextually, from the enemy's attacks. From his schemes, deceptions. Why is that important? Because our heads determine what we think. What we think about all of life. All of it. And how you think has a lot of influence on how you feel. And thus on how you act. And decisions and choices you make. Okay, if you don't take my word for it, just take Jesus'. It's how he said it in Mark 7. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile the person. So we need to keep clear in our heads 
with the helmet, the treasure. Jesus is. You need it today. But, but I came to Jesus 37 years ago. And He was a treasure. I know, you need Him to see Him for who He is again. Today. It's a Hebrew writer with conscience. Today is the day of salvation. Today, you need to adore the beauty of your salvation. Put it on your head. Because to the degree that we do that, or to the degree we don't, it will affect your actions. It will affect what desires are rising up and becoming stronger than others. It will affect your relationships with people in this world. Why? Just think about it. To be saved, if I have presented that word salvation from the New Testament correctly that we saw now. Now, if we that's me. He made me alive. I, I, I've been saved by Jesus. I love Him. And you find yourself praying to God, Father. And then you put the helmet on. I see it. It's the cross. The cross. Where I first saw the light. Oh, and it arose within me. Fear. And then I look back. By grace, my fears were relieved. You rest in Christ. And you realize that's why anything exists. That's why there's a world. That's why there's an eclipse tomorrow that we get fascinated about. Of the world outside of our little teeny teeny little planet. If we look at the sun within our solar system, a moon going in front of us. There's a God who created it. And I know Him because of His mercy. Because that very God, the second person, became one of us. A human being. It's the only answer to life. There is a judgment to come. How that does not change your worldview and how you walk and how you live and who and why you associate with people makes zero sense biblically. You cannot come to Christ and have the helmet of salvation on and not have a radically different worldview than you did before. And thus, for just in our day and age, right now, that means you live in a world that is constantly against you. There's a worldview called postmodern relativism. I mean, it is getting so bad and so public that people really don't believe in science anymore. So what if science says you're a girl? Not really. It's totally relative. If you feel like you're a boy, you're a boy. That's a different worldview than the biblical one. Therefore, Christians cannot hold that worldview. They have a worldview that is centered in Christ. It's centered in a God who created. It's centered in their such thing as objective truth. As we saw a few weeks ago when, when Paul talked about put on the belt of truth. means there is truth out there. 
Whether you believe it, see it, agree with it or not, it is objective. There is such a thing as right. There's such a thing as wrong. There's such a thing as good. There is such a thing as evil. And Jesus Christ is not merely a Savior for me, works for me, and another religion works for you. That's not the Gospel. He either did really, historically, objectively rise from cold, hard metamorphosis to a new resurrected type of non-mortal human life and was encountered by other beings or not. And everything rests on that. And that means you have a radically different worldview. In other words, your ideas are different. And for every human being in Christ or outside of Christ, ideas create worldviews. And everyone has them. Whether they ever even heard that term or not, they have one. They've got grids to which they're living life. And those worldviews shape lifestyles. Now, I know the Apostle John didn't use the term worldview. Whether you think this is just for me to just, I'll say it this way. Here's the Apostle John's way of saying, this is your new worldview, at least part of it, when he writes in his first epistle in chapter 1. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. And so, if we say we have fellowship with Him while we are walking in the darkness, then we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we are walking in the light as He is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Or, in chapter 2, I think this is John's way of saying, put on this helmet of salvation. Let it permeate your thoughts and the way you see your life and the world and the lives around you this way. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, And the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. He says, put on salvation on your head. Why? Because the direction one's going is the fruit. It's the evidence of a born again person. Of those who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, yet still sinners. But their minds 
are in a very different place than those who remain outside of Jesus Christ. And so we are to protect our heads. Because our heads determine how we function in our daily lives. Our salvation determines how we live in this present sinful world as saints, yet sinners. In other words, it's like the way the Apostle Paul, uh, not Paul, do it all, Peter. Peter was clear when he writes to five different huge provinces. Just get this letter, copy it, copy it, it all the cities, all the churches. It's a general letter. And he assumes you're all foreigners. You're aliens. You're sojourners. You don't belong here in this world in one sense because you have been plucked out of it. You have been rescued out of this present evil world. We live here, yet in another sense our citizenship is not here, it's in heaven. We live here, and yet our commander, our Lord, our King, is Jesus. And thus, you put on the helmet, and we view everything from the perspective of being saved people. We view... Our values, what we value. Our hierarchy of values. We view friendships. We view human sexuality. We view money and entertainment and politics and culture. We view everything with the helmet of salvation. Salvation past, present, and future. It is the foundation It's the foundational doctrine that we are to understand cognitively. And we are to be knowing experientially. As we do, and as we have that helmet, that helmet will dictate how we live and how we relate to others. How can it not? If that helmet is on you, and as we go through our families, friends, our schools, our workplaces, the marketplace, the neighborhood, you you must be aware there are only two kinds of people in the world at this moment. Those who have been born again, evidenced by their saving faith in Jesus. And those who are on their way to eternal perdition and condemnation unless they come to faith in Jesus. If that doesn't change our relationships, to be cognizant of them, it doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense to Paul either. He understood that a believer is in the light. An unbeliever is presently in darkness, blinded to the truth and the beauty of Christ, who is the essence 
of objective beauty. And that difference is huge. Unbelievers are in love with worldliness. And in different ways, many of them are very, very comfortable with God belittling sex. They're comfortable with drug addiction, drunkenness, slander, gossiping, hatred, arrogance, pride, love of money. So no wonder the Apostle Paul wrote to those who were to have the helmet of salvation on the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 6, starting with verse 14. And he says to them, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what accord has Christ with Belial? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Now, you've got to be careful here because Jesus saves uh, persons, sometimes when they're five. When I say saved, the Spirit comes and they're born again. And they belong to Christ. And they have a real faith. Sometimes when they're eight, sometimes they're ten, etc. Okay? It might be some of you, and you better figure it out when you get your assurance, get baptized. Okay. But having said that, those of us who live in the world, outside of Christ, into late teenage years, into the adult years, we had patterns of life and worldliness that we that we just loved. And then we came alive. What happened? There's no legalism like, well, but what happened is we saw relationships change. Sometimes it's grieving. Often it's because, okay, they don't want to hang out with me anymore because I hung out with them over these things. Sometimes they come to faith too and you may hang out more. But we began to relate to family and to friends differently. Because now, coming to Christ, you love a lot of things they hate. And they want nothing to do with. Now you love Christians too. And that's new. And there's only so much time in each day. And you add to that, we can't shake the reality that our lifelong friends, you did so much life with, or mom and dad, or family members and cousins, etc., that, okay, you still have a relationship, but it changes because you're so aware they're outside of Christ, and thus you have a deep yearning for them to see and to embrace Jesus so that they too would be saved. That's a change in relationship. Once we loved things that brought us to have a lot of commonality with people, we come to Christ. And we no longer have many of those things in common. Well, we still might be L.A. Dodger fans. 
or numbers of other things. But many things not. And so the helmet of salvation has caused relationships to change. This is not just a 20th, 21st century phenomenon. This is New Testament. The Apostle Peter saw it clearly that this is just what happens. Christ divides. He wrote it this way in 1 Peter 4, 3-4. This is what he assumes about everyone who has been born again. That's how he starts off his letter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And then he writes this. Church, Christians, for the time that has passed, just assume mainly adult conversions here, okay? That's what he's talking about. For the time that has passed, suffices for doing what unbelievers want to do. That is, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Oh, with respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they're bad mouth you. Or they malign you. And so Paul then, got closing here, when he's dealing with the very centerpiece of the helmet of salvation, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, and thus our future resurrection, when he's dealing with that, he clearly tells the Corinthians, in his own words, to put on the helmet of salvation. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and get drunk, for tomorrow we die. Alright? It's a worldview. But that's only if Christ has not been raised. It's only if there is no future resurrection and judgment to come. If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. So wake up from your drunken stupor as is right. Do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. So, we put the helmet on in this darkened world and unseen enemies of demonic forces. Our relationships change. The purpose of your life and meaning has radically shifted. And so you relate to culture and you relate to the world and you relate to people differently because you have the free gift of the helmet of salvation on your head and in your thoughts. So put it on. Put it on daily. And stand out 
Be who you have been recreated in Christ Jesus to be. Don't let your light be shoved under the lampstand. But shine as the joyfully happy people of Christ in this world that He's made us to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank You as we last week has seen clearly that the helmet of salvation goes on really and only as we commune with You prayerfully through and over Your Word. Oh, so may we by Your grace, continue to make Your Word privately, prayerfully, go to our days that we would find an imaginable power, strength each day as we look to Your Word, hear what You say, prayerfully watch it melt our hearts, Cause repentance, joy of forgiveness, moving on to see more fruit born each day. Oh, Father, do it. Oh, we would see Jesus to the glory of His name. Amen.